Welcome to the Kennedy Beacon Podcast, the uncensored podcast where we discuss issues and stories highlighted on the Kennedy Beacon Substack. And we also touch on some of the challenges and goings on around Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s campaign for President of the United States of America. Hi, everyone. I'm Francis Scott, and I'm here with my two favorite co-hosts, Nico House and Aaron Good. Hi, guys. Hey, it's about that time again. Hi, Francis. Uh, thanks for thanks for doing this. It's great to see you. Today's show, we're calling it The Story. And it you know might sound simple enough, but as journalists, we can also tell you that stories are rarely easy, especially these days when so much is happening. And because of the internet, we know about it all instantly. But a news story, as you know, does not just show up like a video clip on your Instagram or X feed. A lot of thought and discussion go into a story as well as what does and does not get published or read by you. And I assure you it's no different for the Kennedy Beacon than it is for any other newsroom in the U.S. Now, before we bring on our guest, who is by any measure the maestro of the Kennedy Beacon story or what some of us think of as the Beacon story catcher, the three of us are going to talk for a few minutes about what we do as nonfiction story people, as journalists, podcasters, and commentators. Now, Nico, I want to start with you. You wrote a piece for the Beacon saying the DNC literally hijacked the primary in 2016 and then again in 2020. Tell us a little bit about why you wrote that. So one of the reasons that I wrote this story was because I felt it was extremely important to convey this idea that democracy isn't really being practiced in the U.S. A lot of people believe that we have choice, but um, if you've read my stories in The Beacon, then you'll understand uh, it's really an illusion of choice, right? And if if the reason I talk about the DNC fraud lawsuit, the reason I talk about how Bernie Sanders and more importantly, his voters were cheated in 2016 and then again in 2020. Uh, the reason I talk about, you know, Tulsi Gabbard Secured America's Elections Act, how the CAA talent agency works with the Democratic Party uh, to shut down anyone who may challenge any of their elite members of that party. The reason I talk about that is because a lot of people are under the impression that these political parties are working within the interests of democracy, or even in the case of the Democrats, they believe that the, the political party is actually doing its best to put forth the best candidate and make sure that everyone has an opportunity to choose the best candidate. And when I say the best candidate, I mean the best candidate to be you know, the Republican, if you're a Democrat, for example. Uh, but in the reality, that's not the case. Uh, they put forth a candidate that represents a certain set of interests. Uh, they put forth a candidate that is is not there necessarily to beat the Republican. But if they do beat the Republican, that's nice. But it really, what it's really about is maintaining the status quo for the Democratic Party, the military industrial complex, uh, you know, NATO, the, the, the West in general. Um, and if they if that means they have to lose to the Republicans, well, then they're fine with that, as we saw with uh, with Hillary Clinton. We, they knew she wasn't the best candidate. And yet they put her forth anyway. To some degree, they knew Biden wasn't the best candidate. I mean, they spent the majority of the Democratic primary explaining why that was the case at the end of, during the debates. Uh, and yet they put him forth anyway. And look at the mess we're in right now. People don't even know if he's going to make it to the next election. And so when I did these articles, it was to help explain to people like, you need to know right now that they have no interest in democracy so that you can know how to move forward with that knowledge. Because if we continue to ignore that, then we're going to continue getting the same results. If we don't, we're limited by our experiences. 
Um, and now we've had these experiences, but because of censorship and things like that, people don't know uh, exactly what happened, how we got here. Because I think a lot of people around the world, not just the U.S., wake up every day, check their Twitter feed, see a clip of Biden and think, wow, how? Right. And that's what the article that's what the articles are about is to explain, like, this is how we got here. It wasn't by accident. It was by design. And when we're talking about like a candidate like Kennedy, for example, uh, I, I will admit I'm almost biased towards candidates who are immediately rebuked by the Democratic Party. You could call it a flaw. I don't know if you want to call it, but once once I see, oh, Democratic Party doesn't like you. Well, you know what? Let me check you out really quick. And then you hear them stand up for censorship or you hear them uh, or you see them being censored uh, at the very bare minimum. I immediately start paying attention to them because I don't know, maybe I won't agree with everything they say, but something that they're saying is extremely important, an issue that they are fighting for, a value that they hold. It is extremely important and, and, and needs to be a part of that discourse if it is absolute if it's being absolutely rebuked by the Democratic Party. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I, I started paying attention to RFK before he even began running for president, because I didn't know much about him uh, until the pandemic happened and things like that. And then all of the first thing I heard about RFK Jr. wasn't his stance, but rather his uh, that he was being censored. So, Aaron. Uh, the column that you did for the Beacon, Spies, Media, Assassination of Democracy, uh, about the history of the long, ugly, hairy arm of the CIA. Why do you feel like that's relevant right now? Well, I think it's quite a good bookend to what you're talking about with the DNC corruption in 2016 and 2020. Uh, after spending a lot of time studying the subject, I conclude that the JFK assassination offers an indispensable window into the American deep state. The intelligence agencies, the media, the politicians, the oligarchs who own them all. If you understand what happened with the JFK assassination, the motives, the methods, the, the cover-up, you understand a lot about the apex of power in the USA. And Aaron, I want to second that I'm working on a piece now, and I'm calling it The Kennedy Effect. I'm not sure I'm going to stick with that title, but it's my impression that the more the media tries to censor someone, the backlash is that people that maybe didn't really care before, maybe we weren't that political, were like, wait. You know, it's like the it's like the book you hear gets banned. I want to see that book. I want to read that book. Mm -hmm. In the same way, I'm seeing person after person say, wait, what? I didn't even know he was running. Why isn't it covered? Why isn't it everywhere? And then they go find him on their own, which actually thwarts maybe the goal of the people who've been trying to censor him because they actually, the people then actually get to hear Kennedy speak for himself, not get paraphrased in a magazine piece, not get, you know, misquoted on television or in a newspaper. And it turns out to actually help Robert F. Kennedy Jr. get his message across. Yeah. And I want to add too. Um, what's funny, once again, this is just me. I just, I like to talk about my initial visceral reactions to things because I think a lot of Americans are like this. Um, but just because of my experience, obviously I don't necessarily always react, but when I see Vivek Ramaswamy, for example, being constantly uplifted in social media and boosted by the media, that is a red flag to me immediately because now I'm judging your authenticity. I'm like, why would, if you're truly authentic, if you're truly here, to work on our behalf, would you really be being elevated? Well, history says no. So that's that's what also makes it interesting. So um, we have a very special guest for you guys, okay? But before we get into introducing our guest, Lewis, let's listen to this audio clip from Kennedy on the campaign stop, or on the campaign trail at a stop in Westchester Township, Ohio. Bye. 
chants filled the ballroom of the Marriott in Westchester this afternoon as presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. kicked off his independence tour campaign in Ohio. What my objective is over the next 13 months of this campaign and over the years of my presidency is to figure out the things that unite Americans, to find the values that we have in common. So it's time to welcome our guest. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Louis Conti. It's Conti, right, Louis? I want to make sure I'm pronouncing Correct. it Correct, right. Louis Conti, yes. Louis Conti uh, to the show. But um, he uh, he wrote last Saturday when he posted his daily news uh, roundup. Um, and I want to read this to you. He said that uh, the past week has been full of atrocious news. I have read the comments about Kennedy's position on the war in Ukraine and the war in Gaza and Israel. More than anything, I sense the pain and the yearning for peace. Here at the Kennedy Beacon, we respect everyone's views, whether they align with RFK's positions or not. All I can offer is that anyone can bring people at war to a place of peace. If anyone can bring people at war to a place of peace, it is Bobby Kennedy. He understands what it is to suffer and struggle and yet come to a place of spiritual peace. And that's that's a very, very important message. And as a member of the Kennedy Beacon, let me just say how important it is that everyone does feel, by the way, that they their views, regardless of their alignment with RFKs, do do feel respected. Um, and, 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 and that's amazing. So, Lewis, talk to us a little bit about that. Well, the first thing I want to say about doing this work is that in a way I'm really blessed to be a chronicler here of Bobby Kennedy and of this campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, and my insights come from, from Bobby to the people he's talking to, uh, to the citizens who walk up to him uh, during rallies. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, though, those are the voices of the campaign, uh, the comments that we get uh, from readers on the Kennedy Beacon uh, whether they agree with me or not, I, you know, I read them all uh, and uh, I, I welcome them because, you know, to me, it's a very genuine way for people to communicate, you know, their thoughts and feelings on what's going on with with the campaign and with the country. And Lewis, you you actually edit the Beacon, obviously, but you edit specifically the Daily News Roundup, right? How do you go about choosing those <laughs> articles? Uh, you know, it is, um, kind of interesting because it evolved. First thing is, you know, yes, it's, it's your basic Google search on many a day. Uh, but then I, I want to know what's going on on X. I want to know what's going on on rumble. Uh, that's where I first saw Aaron's interview, right. Mm. With, uh, David Talbot. And I thought it was outstanding. And, uh, so I will, uh, go to certain websites where I know that, uh, I, very few websites do not have a political point of view um, or a slant, if you will. That's okay. Um, I'll go to websites that are critical of Bobby. I'll go to websites that uh, are open to hearing his message. Uh, you know, anywhere and any place I can look. Uh, YouTube. Uh, and uh, I mean, every now and then I, I, I find some, some absolute gems on YouTube. Uh, and, uh, and all that I think enriches, you know, the reader's experience when they come to the news roundup every day. So, um, 
I when I, I'm I'm proud to be a contributing columnist to the Beacon, specifically because of what you talked about, just the the openness and welcoming of of opinions, especially because you know, um, last week and then again this week, there's been a lot of of human carnage on Israel and Gaza. Um, you know, it's a little bit soul crushing. It's mind destroying. Yeah. It's an emotional drag. It's hard to keep up. Um, but everyone has a difference of opinion and everybody's also aware of, of RFK's position, which, uh, a lot of us disagree with, but yet McKinney still, you know, Katie Beacon has still been going strong. We've still been putting out good work. Now, my question to you is how in the world, like, how do you do this in reference to your expertise as a polygraph examiner, which <laughs> many people may not know you are, does that help you with choosing the articles? Well, one of the things that, uh, and so that, you know, the listeners know I'm not a polygraph examiner who goes on a television show and tries to figure out whether, you know, John is the father of Sarah's baby. That's not, that's not the work I'm doing. I, I'm doing work, uh, you know, with therapists, with people, you know, under supervision in the community for things like sex offenses. Right. I was, I was and, just going to ask you if you knew Maury. I was just going to yeah, ask you. I, okay. I, I don't know him, but, uh, you know, uh, and I shouldn't know him because then it would be a Maury would have some problems, uh, <laughs> you know. So uh, but, you know, what that work allows me to, you know, um, it allows me to understand genuine communication when I see it. Right. Um, uh, for instance, we, we ran a video of Bobby talking last week. Uh, about, you know, his, his feelings about the war in, with Israel and, and Hamas. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, at one point he spoke about his love for the Palestinian people. And it was crystal clear to me as someone who looks at people and understands when they're being genuine and when they're not, right, mm. uh, that, that, that this pained him to know. I mean, you could see it on his face, you know, and it was, it was really, uh, it was clear. So, um, you know, how, how do you feel like that contrast? Do you feel like perhaps some of his comments have been on the issue have been more political? And then that was like a, such a stark shift in his tone, his mannerisms that you could tell like, okay, no, this is a different Bobby speaking. Yeah. If I, if I can add to that, if I can add to that is uh, I have been also thinking about RFK's other positions on echoing his uncle, President Kennedy, saying that we need to always make sure we communicate with our adversaries and we need to avoid confrontations that could escalate into nuclear war. And uh, I, I feel that this Israel-Palestine issue is is not really fitting into that bigger framework. Re seeing him evince some sympathy for the Palestinians, do you think that... Uh, uh, you know, he's been a little bit silent on this issue in recent days. Is he looking to, uh, do you think it's possible that there's going to be a review of the, the general overall plan for peace just in general that might include Israel, Palestine, but just a way to work with, with our adversaries as, as, as the U.S. empire crumbles, which is a key part of his campaign and what he's been saying uh, recently. Well, what I, what I envision he will do is at a, a moment when, uh, it's possible for him to be heard on this in a way that doesn't trigger some horrible reaction, right? I mean, uh, we need to be aware that right now a lot of the country is, is sitting here watching what's going on. Um, people are kind of taking sides. Uh, news stories are not coming out accurately, 
right? We saw some of this mm-hmm. last night. Uh, it's the fog of war. Uh, it's the impressions that uh, that people have of what they're seeing on their TVs. Um, what what um, what I think Bobby will do uh, is I think that at some point he is going to propose a comprehensive Middle East peace plan that respects the rights of everyone in that region to live in peace. I really believe that. Um, you know, uh, I know Bobby a bit, you know, and I've, I've worked with him on some books for Skyhorse and on some other projects. Uh, and this is not a person who, who wants to see uh, war break out uh, and, and civilian casualties, um, you know, uh, it, it's one of those times where I, you know, I've spent a, a good part of, you know, my evenings after I review all this stuff and, uh, I pray, I mean, that, that, mm. you know, that's, that's what I got to do to, you know, and I, I pray for peace. Right. Uh, and you know, I think we pray for peace first and hope that we can get to a place of justice. And that's, that's an important thing. I think we all, you know, we get the goosebumps when you hear you say that, and we know that that is truly the answer in bridging the gap, um, coming together. And, you know, that's the beauty of the Kennedy Beacon. We're all coming from somewhere else, and there's a lot of grace that we can give each other. And, you know, maybe we don't agree with everything he says. Maybe we don't agree with everything the other person says that people from other parties say, but the point is to come together. And of course we all want peace in the Middle East. Right. Lewis, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and, and we're going to think too, you know, about the innocent civilians. We all want peace, especially for the civilians, both in Israel and Palestine. And I'm Francis Scott, along with my colleagues, Aaron Good and Nico House. We want to thank you today for joining us for this, Louis Conti, for putting all of this together. And we invite you to come read what Louis and Aaron, Nico, and a lot of other people are contributing at the Kennedy Beacon Substack. We invite you to do that. And we hope that you will tune in again next week for the next episode of the Kennedy Beacon Podcast. 